The reading of God's holy word is from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, we'll read the first 23 verses. Our text is verses 13 through 15. If it wasn't for John Kelvin, it's quite possible I could win an award for the longest gap between sermons in a series. I looked it up and it was a year and one month since I preached number 18 in this series, but I'm thankful to be able to preach number 19 here tonight. Galatians 5, 1 through 23. Calvin, by the way, had a three-year gap one time. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another." This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, lost my place, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
We read God's holy and inspired word to that point tonight. Our text is verses 13, 14, and 15 of Galatians chapter 5. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Beloved of God, recall that God had used the Apostle Paul to plant these churches in Galatia, to whom the Apostle now writes, on his first missionary journey. Shortly after the Apostle returned home from that journey, he received word that there were men come up from Jerusalem who were troubling these churches. We call these men Judaizers. They were telling the churches in Galatia that Paul was, in fact, not an apostle and that his gospel was not the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. These Judaizers had two main problems. The first was that they believed that the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws were still literally in force yet after the coming of Jesus Christ. And secondly, they believed and taught that Christ did not save us alone, but our obedience to those civil and ceremonial laws and the moral law was part of what earned our justification before God. Acts 15 verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. The Apostle Paul writes this fiery epistle to the churches in Galatia to defend his apostolic authority and to defend the gospel of justification by grace alone. His inspired letter divides nicely into three sections made up of two chapters per section. The first is chapter 1 and 2, where Paul defends his apostleship, recounts how he became an apostle by Jesus Christ's own installation into the office. The second section is chapters 3 and 4, where the apostle defends the truth of justification by faith alone with eight crystal clear, powerful arguments. Then, the third section is chapters 5 and 6 in which we find our text for tonight, where the Apostle makes practical applications that flow from what he has written already. And the first of those applications at the beginning of chapter 5 was this. Stand fast now in this liberty that justification by faith alone grants you. Don't give up that gospel for anything. Stand firm there. Don't move from this. Though these Judaizers are tempting you to fall back into this legalistic works righteousness religion, that threat is real for you, says the apostle. Stand firm in the gospel and conscious of how much this is a threat. 
He repeats that at the beginning of our text too in verse 13, even though it isn't the thrust of what he's going to say in our text. Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. The irresistible call of a sovereign God has has brought you into this position where you are free. Free from the bondage of those Old Testament laws and free from having to earn your righteousness before God. A freedom that was declared to you this morning in the Word and in the sacrament. As the bread was broken before your eyes and the, and the wine was poured out before your eyes. The body and blood of Jesus Christ given for you, the ground of your salvation, for nothing in yourself. It's done. The wonder of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that is not do this and live, but live for this has been done. Now, As the Apostle presses on, he lays before the Galatians and us tonight this question, which question is perfect for an applicatory service. But what are you going to do with that liberty? How are you going to live in that position now? Because there is another ditch There's that ditch of works righteousness that you must avoid. Stand firm. But there is this too. That in this liberty you're going to be tempted to use this freedom to serve the flesh. And instead, the apostle calls the church, use your liberty to by love serve one another. The proper use of liberty is the theme of the sermon tonight. The proper use of liberty. First, how not to use it. Second, how to use it. And the wonderful result that God grants in giving us to use it properly. The proper use of liberty, how not to use it, how to use it, and the wonderful result. It's something that parents might say to their teenage child, isn't it? Perhaps after that child has got their driver's license for the first time and you're about to hand them the keys for them to go off on their own, you might say to that child, you're at a new stage of life right now, my son, my daughter. You're no longer this small child under the entire direction of parents so that your every move is governed by my word anymore. Every turn you made, there was a, there was a rule, there was a, a law for you, and now you've come to a new stage of life. You're, you're getting older. And all of these rules Fall away to a certain extent and and you're going to go off kind of on your own. 
you have a kind of a liberty now. And not only that, but I want to tell you, my child, before you go out that door into this new stage of life, in the beginnings of making your way in this world, you don't have to fear that I, as your parent, am going to abandon you. You don't have to be afraid that something you do is going to make me not love you from here on out. You go out that door in the freedom of knowing that you don't have to earn my love, but you are my child and always will be. But now, child, the question is, what are you going to do with this liberty? How are you going to handle it? Paul has told the New Testament church in chapter 4 that with the coming of Jesus Christ, the church has grown up. She's starting to come to adulthood. And all of the civil and ceremonial laws, all of those rules of the Old Testament church were for her childhood because she was a child then. And now she's more grown up and those civil and ceremonial laws fall away. She has a certain freedom, liberty now as she's growing up. In addition, the apostle has been explaining God does not justify us on the basis of our working. You're free from the bondage of having to earn your father's love by what you do. He tells you, I've loved you from eternity. I've adopted you. I've put my life in you for nothing in you. And your life from here on forward may be lived in the confidence that you are mine and I am yours and nothing can change that. You're free from trying to earn it by your own working. And now Paul says, what are you going to do with that church? You church standing at the beginning of the New Testament and you church throughout the New Testament age. What are you going to do with that liberty? Because just as for that teenager... There's a temptation to misuse that liberty. So for God's church. There's a temptation, the apostle says, that the church use her liberty as an occasion to the flesh. An occasion to the flesh. The word flesh, there is not a reference to the body merely, but to the old man of sin. All that is a part of us by nature. The word is used by the apostle a couple of verses later in verse 17 this way, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Correctly, spirit there is a capital S, the Holy Spirit. And the spirit, capital S, against the flesh. And those are contrary the one to the other. The spirit and this flesh are opposite each other. That's not the spirit in the, in the human body. It's the spirit and the old man of sin, the nature, the desires, the motions that arise out of that old man. And the word occasion here, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. The word for occasion is a military term. It refers to a base of operations from which a military power might be able to launch an attack 
and try to take over territory when Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, it's one of the first things they did. They tried to take over Odessa. Why? Odessa's a port city on the sea. It was a, a city from which they could launch further into Ukraine. It was a base of operations. If they could just launch from there, they would have a way to uh, attack and take over more territory. How are you going to use your liberty? Don't use it, says the apostle, in such a way that your liberty becomes this kind of base of operations, this launching pad, this occasion from which the flesh may be able to launch an attack upon the territory of your life. You know whereof he speaks, do you not? Who hasn't faced this temptation? As the devil whispers in the ear, you have freedom in Christ. What's holding you back? I know, I, I know, I know, but he's not going to send you to hell for it. Go ahead. He told you that, that your works are not the basis for your standing before God. That his relationship with you is secure, that you're his. He's told you in his word there's nothing that you can do to change your election if you are his child. You can't change from elect to reprobate. The, the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't suddenly become of none effect for you. He's accomplished your redemption. It's over. He's told you that he loves you with an unchanging love. He even signified and sealed it to you in his sacrament. So does he want you to know this. You're free. Go for it. Right there. If we give place to that, our freedom becomes a launching pad for the flesh to take over territory in our life, as much territory as it can get. The flesh wants to hook for more and more for territory here, for territory there. And it will use anything. It will use even your liberty in Jesus Christ. It wants your thoughts, your affections, your actions. Or this. You have freedom. You're a New Testament Christian. You're not living in the Old Testament anymore. You're free from all of those Old Testament strictures. Touch not, taste not, handle not. God deals with you as a mature child. You're, you're coming to adulthood in the church of Jesus Christ. You make your own decisions now. You have this freedom. So, grab that drink and let's go. You're free. You're free to take it. And another. And why not another? 
And, and how about another? Maybe one more. You're free. What, what are you, some kind of legalist? No legalism is going to take hold of you. You may have the internet, of course. You may have the television, of course. You're free. You don't have any laws governing you. You may make your own decisions in this. Why don't you watch this? You're living in the New Testament. Your Lord's Day, your, your, your Sabbath, you're free from a lot of those strictures of the Old Testament Sabbath day. You don't want to be a legalist, you know. You, you have a certain freedom. But from the launching pad of that real freedom, that really is there, it really is yours. You may decide to have that drink or not. You may decide to watch the TV or not or use the internet or not. Of course, you're free. You have a certain liberty in the Lord's day in the New Testament, but his goal is from the launching pad of that freedom to turn you into a drunk. Or to bring you into the license of immorality on the screen and spiritual danger to your soul and life. And the liberty of the New Testament Sabbath becomes the license of doing your pleasure on my holy day, saith the Lord. There's the temptation to use your freedom as this base from which the flesh can get a hold of the life. And the apostle cries, don't do it. Don't use your freedom that way. Don't use your liberty that way. It wants to bring you into a different kind of slavery. Don't you understand? You've been delivered. You've been freed. This is a whole other slavery. Don't use it. as an occasion for the flesh. And the apostle Peter echoes the words of Paul First Peter 2.16, as free, but not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, for a, a covering over evil or depravity. And all kinds of examples of this evil and depravity are going to come from the pen of Paul in the next few verses in our chapter. We read them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, Murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. But what is most interesting is that right now, he only brings up one. And this is the first one that he brings up. Biting and devouring one another in the body of Jesus Christ. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh 
particularly the pride of that flesh to take you over so that you begin to bite and to devour this person, that person, and there's biting and devouring in the church until the church is consumed, so that you're behaving like wild animals in the body of Jesus Christ. It's the progression of a wild animal attacking its prey, isn't it? Bite and devour, lest you consume one another. First, that animal bites at his prey to kill it. Then he starts to devour it. He rips pieces of the flesh off and eats it. And then finally, at the end, it's consumed altogether. Only here, in Paul's mind, as he gives this to us, it's not a a lion and an antelope, but it's actually two lions going at each other. You bite and devour one another, lest ye be consumed one of another, so that, that both are consuming each other. Paul has seen this in the church. And every gener- generation from Paul on out has too. The apostle was worried. And with all the controversy that was going on in the Galatian churches, that this would be finally the result, that they would bite and, and devour each other and consume each other so that the whole thing would be blown up. You think what's happened in our churches has never happened before? Paul saw it repeatedly, and sadly, sadly, it's a common occurrence in the history of the church. It's about to happen in a denomination in Mexico that we visited the last number of years. Sometimes division, split in the church is necessary for the sake of truth and godliness. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it happens over something as simple as the color of the carpet. But every time, it's sad. And even if sometimes debates and disagreements and even splits and splinters are necessary, the manner matters. Lest the whole church become consumed unto its own destruction with fighting and biting and ripping and devouring. As emotions run high, as tempers flare, as the flesh takes occasion and rises up to the destruction of the body of Jesus Christ. Calvin says, how unhappy, how mad it is that we who are members of the same body should voluntarily conspire together for our own mutual destruction. May I say, that I am grateful to the Lord. this has not happened in our denomination when it could have the occasion was there it's grace that prevented it 
We haven't been perfect. We haven't been sinless. But by God's grace, I think we've been conscious of the manner as we bite and devour one another into our own destruction. But you see now the connection, beloved, do you not? That the Apostle Paul makes here. You're free in Christ, justified for nothing in yourself. You're free to pursue what you think is right in the kingdom of God. But even in that, there is an occasion for the flesh to come in and say, in pride, because I think I am right, I may bite and I may devour the other in order to accomplish what I want to accomplish. Whatever that is, take it out of the realm of controversy now too. Whatever one's individual desires are for the church, the temptation always is, if I think I am right, then following God's way to pursue that may go out the door and the flesh may rise and pride may take over and it's okay because I'm right. Am I not? And instead of pursuing something, maybe even a good thing in a biblical and a godly way so that if it comes to pass then it's God's own gift and you may know it's God's gift to the church Instead, you pursue it in pride and the flesh rises and all it is is flesh tearing at flesh. That flesh is essentially me-centered. And we can become so utterly me-centered without even realizing it. Even in the pursuit of things that we think are good and right, Do not, I have the right here. Don't I have the insight here? Don't I have the power here? Shouldn't I be able to control all of this here? And I will press it. Because me, 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 me. As I try to bend everyone around me to build the kingdom of me, rather than humble myself and serve those around me to build the kingdom of me. Of Christ. Instead, by love, serve one another. You see, there's a vacuum, a certain vacuum of power that's left in the Christian life by this liberty. so that it can become a launching pad, an occasion for control over the life. What's going to fill that vacuum? Is it going to be flesh by which I serve me or love by which I serve others? If someone inherits a billion dollars, there's a certain liberty that comes from that, a certain kind of freedom that person doesn't have to work going forward to earn his living. His entire living for the rest of his life has been handed to him. His whole life may come out of that earning instead of having to earn to live his life. Many of the old constraints upon his life fall away with that billion dollars. There's a certain liberty now, and now the question comes to that person, what are you going to do? 
What's going to fill that vacuum, that void? You're going to serve yourself or serve others with it. That's the position we are in spiritually in Jesus Christ, beloved. And the apostle is saying, by love, serve one another. The word for serve here is very, very strong. It isn't the regular word for service in the New Testament, the word from which we get the word for deacon, but rather, this is the Greek word for slave. By love, enslave yourselves to one another in the congregation. I wonder what would happen if we all went home tonight and took out our church directory and wrote Galatians 3.13 on it. And then, these are the people whom I am to willingly enslave myself in loving service so that my heart is given over to them, my time, my talents, my treasure employed to the glory of God for their benefit. Really? Aren't there more exciting people to serve? Yeah, but I can't do them any good anyway. I don't, I don't have any gifts, really. Yes, you do. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, every man, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Luther, in his commentary, gives a list of how we are to do this. Serve each other in the body of Jesus Christ by love. And it's astoundingly common Quote, teaching the erring, comforting the afflicted, encouraging the weak, helping the neighbor in whatever way one can, bearing with rude manners and impoliteness, putting up with annoyances, labors, and the ingratitude and contempt of men, treating one's parents with respect, being patient in the home with a cranky wife, and the like, end quote. Kinds of things, Luther says, The whole world is unable to comprehend the excellency and worthiness of. Can you comprehend the excellency and worthiness of it? That's it? That's what I'm supposed to do with his liberty. God sent his son to come down here and to suffer the eternal wrath of hell on my behalf that I might have liberty to do that. Those are the excellent things. Those are the glorious things. Maybe he'll use our works like that in some great and marvelous and massive way. He does sometimes with some of his people, but more than likely he won't. 
He'll use it. He'll use it in the lives of others. Absolutely, he will. This is what your liberty is for. To willingly enslave yourselves one to another in loving, free service. And by this, the kingdom of Christ is built. Yes, by this. How do you know, Paul, that this is what God wants from our liberty in Jesus Christ? The Apostle's answer to that question is vitally important. For his answer is, I know, because God's law says so. For all the law, verse 14, is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Though you are free from civil and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, and though you are free from using any law of God to earn your righteousness and your status before Jehovah God, there is a moral law of God that is still over you. The apostle is saying, Just like you send that child out the door with the keys and you've told him all of those things about the liberty that he has at this stage of his life and you asked him, what what are you going to do with this liberty now? You remind him, there is still law over you. Though you're becoming an adult, there are still the, the heart principles of God's will that are over you. And you must honor them. Paul's teaching, what we now call the third use of the law. The first use, you may know, is to show us our sin and to drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ, humbled on our knees. The second use is to give some sense of what laws to make in civic life. And the third use is to guide us in our life of gratitude before him. This law is no longer over us in the way that it was before. In fact, maybe you can put it this way. It's under us more than it's over us. One of the Apostle Paul's favorite phrases is, you're no longer under the law. You're no lo- in Jesus Christ, you're no longer under the law. The law is not over you anymore. But his point is, it still has effect upon your life. It's, it's under you. You used to be under it, but now it's under you. Before Jesus Christ, the law was over you like a a thundercloud. And it thundered from on high. Do this, do this, do this, or I'll send lightning down to destroy you. That's taken away in Jesus Christ. The threat, the condemning of the law is gone in him. But now that law is under us like a road that may guide us and lead us into a life of liberty and service to him and to each other. The law is love at its heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart 
all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that the law is totally different to us now in Jesus Christ. It still has something to say in our life. It still has power in our life. It still has directing authority in our life. But we come at it so differently now, and it comes to us so differently. We have love to bring to it. We have gratitude. We're delivered from the guilt of our sins. I'm a child of God and will never be anything else. There's love that wells up in the heart for that. And when that's declared to me time and time again, that love continues to well up in me. Well, that love needs some direction. How do I express this love? And that's where this law of God comes back. You see how the Apostle Paul brings it in here now as that law of love. Love the neighbor as yourself. As he quotes from Leviticus 19 verse 18 and says that all the law is fulfilled in that one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Why doesn't he say all the law is fulfilled in this one word, love God? Why doesn't he refer to the first table of the moral law? Why the second table of the moral law? Love your neighbor. The apostle knows and the Galatians themselves know. They understand this. They've been taught this. That all the law is love for God. But the practical expression of that love for God in our life is in our love for each other. John said in 1 John 4 verse 20, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? The vital test of our love for God is in our love for our brothers. And this is Paul's concern now, and this is the way he brings the law to us. Love them and show your love for God by loving them. It has to strike us then, beloved. The Apostle Paul so deftly navigates between the deadly reef on the one side of legalism and the deadly reef on the other side of antinomianism. He will abide neither. This is so astounding. After four chapters of telling the church of her liberty from the law in Jesus Christ, as many as are for the works of the law, they're under the curse. The law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus Christ. We had to be redeemed from under the law, he said. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We were once kept under the law, shut up from the faith that is in Christ. And yet now, without any warning, he brings the law back in. It says it's still in play. And after four chapters of freeing us from slavery and bondage, we were in bondage, he says. Do you desire again to be in bondage? Is that why you're listening to these Judaizers? Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Christ, you're no more a servant, but a son. And now without warning, he brings slavery back into play. You are to be enslaved to one another. Only the child of God gets it. This is the irony of the Christian life. And at once, he's perfectly free and Lord over all and subject to none, as Luther said. And at the same time, he's perfectly servant 
Lord over none. Set free from the law as condemner in order to come back in obedience to the perfect law of liberty. So that the must of that law remains. To the point where even the love itself can be commanded. You've been called to liberty. Only use not your liberty as the occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. It's a command. Not only serve each other, but by love serve one another. Love them. There's a kind of antinomianism that will admit that the law maybe has a place in the Christian life yet, but it can never command. It can never say you must do this or that because that immediately places me under bondage. And I'm not under bondage, I'm free. Paul doesn't look at it that way. If that law would come back and say, to hell with you if you don't do this, then Paul would say yes. No law like that. You kick that law out. But the law still comes. And the moral law, love God and love the neighbor and here's how. The gratitude in the gospel for what he's made me and the liberty that I have in Christ flows out into that riverbed and along that pathway in the service of his name. What a good and wise father to also give direction to our liberty, to not leave us totally without guidance of his will in our liberty. And what a good and loving Father to give us the blessed prospect in the midst of this liberty of fulfilling that very law to his glory. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. What a thing. He said it in Romans 8 too. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. To be sure, Christ fulfills the law. I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it, and he did. He obeyed it perfectly. He filled it up to the top with perfect righteousness and obedience. But we are being told that with his life in us, not only imputed, but now imparted, in his wake, there is some kind of fulfilling of that law by his power within us, in us, Never to satisfy the justice of God. Never in perfection, always stained by sin. But there's something coming out of us in our gospel liberty obedience that meets in some degree the requirement of that law when that could not be the case before. Because part of that law is love. Love this God and love this neighbor. Serve them, enslave yourself to them in love. And we couldn't do that before. It was only in fear and terror that the lightning bolt would come down. But now, freed, brought into this gospel liberty, love. By love, I serve. 
and I become like my Savior Himself. Who in His liberty made Himself of no reputation, took upon Himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and gave Himself for His brethren. That in His power, freely give myself for them. To the glory of God and to the joy of a life that's how it is to be lived. May it be yours. Amen. Father in heaven, bless thy word to our hearing. Strengthen us by that word, we pray. In Jesus' name.